Well, Elisha instructed the son of a prophet to anoint a king. This is a fascinating study. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are going through the Bible. And when we do that, we go from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Welcome. It's good to have you here. Also joining us is Corey and Ryan. Corey? I'm going to be talking about the chariot force of Israel because we see that in our reading today. Ryan? Today, my segment is all about 2 Kings chapter 2, where Elisha heals the waters of Jericho. All right, very good. That, they're coming up in about 20 minutes' time. In about 25 minutes' time, Janice is coming up, and she's talking about... Words and actions. All right, so take your Bible guide on this day. It's interesting because we're going to study 2 Kings chapter 9. Let's open it up and let's listen to what God says to us because the Lord is speaking today very profoundly, and we need to listen to what he's saying. Second Kings 9, 1 through 13. And Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Get yourself ready. Take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth-Gilead. Now, when you arrive at that place, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi. Go in and make him rise up from among his associates and take him to an inner room. Then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and do not delay. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth-Gilead. And when he arrived, there were the captains of the army sitting. And he said, I have a message for you, commander. Jehu said, For which one of us? And he said, For you, commander. Then he arose and went into the house. And he poured the oil on his head and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord over Israel. You shall strike down the house of Ahab your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab all the males in Israel both bond and free. So I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah. The dogs shall eat Jezebel on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. And he opened the door and fled. Then Jehu came out to the servants of his master, and one said to him, Is all well? Why did this madman come to you? And he said to them, You know the man and his babble. And they said, A lie, tell us now. So he said, Thus and thus he spoke to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then each man hastened to take his garment and put it under him on the top of the steps. And they blew trumpets, saying, Jehu is king. 2 Kings chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. 
2 Kings chapter 9, 10, 11, and 12. You know, God continued to work in ancient Israel, even though many of had chosen to ignore him. It's true. The one who didn't ignore him, they were often hated and sometimes hunted. Chief among those who followed God at this time in history, ancient history, was Elisha the prophet. He took over the role of prophet from Elijah and had special authority. Now, it's interesting to see how God had his prophets sometimes work outside of Israel as well. God knows the future of all nations. As much as we might plan our own future, it is God who ultimately determines it. Now, today we focus on 2 Kings chapter 9. And God tells Elisha to work on some internal politics. Very interesting. He will anoint the next king of Israel. Anoint means set apart. Now, this king is not in the lineage, but instead will judge the lineage of Ahab and Jezebel. Remember that God directed his will in ancient times through his prophets. And today, God directs his will through those who love him, who follow him, and by the way, those who bother to read his word, which is something that I strongly recommend and strongly think that we should all read his word as we understand who God is. Now, take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage. When you do so, let me remind you and let me just say this. It's very important today that we make our priorities real. I want to thank you for being faithful in your giving. If you've done so in this very difficult time, I want to say that means so much to us. And God sees what you do. Now, it's important to know that you can get your Bible guide if you call us and write to us. Or you can get it by going to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. BibleDiscoveryTV.com takes you to a page where you can give. And thank you again for giving. This is very, very important. And may I say as well that it'll take you to a page where you can download the PDF file exactly how we have it programmed and planned in and printed out. So it's very, very good. Literally, you're seconds away from exactly how we have it positioned. Let's pray today and ask the Lord to show us what he did. Father, I pray today that you would show us your way and teach us your path. Lord, there are so many of us who read into your word our ways and our path. But Lord, we don't want that. We want our hearts to change according to your divine glory. Divine is a very interesting thing because it's out of this world. It's in another world. It's in heaven. May your work in heaven be manifest or made known in our hearts here on earth. In Jesus' wonderful name. And we all said together, amen and amen. Now look very carefully at the first passage here. In 2 Kings chapter 9, it says, And Elijah the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Get yourself ready. Take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. Now when you arrive at that place, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshai, and go in and make him rise up from among his associates and take him to an inner room. Then take the flask of oil, pour it on his head and say, thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king 
over Israel. And then I want you to open the door and flee, run away, and do not delay. What a fascinating thought. Elijah instructs the son of the prophet to anoint a specific man as king. God has called each of us to a task in this world, beloved. God has called each of us to a task to this world. Our lives are created and developed so there's only people that we can reach. Now, God's will will not be thwarted by our bad decisions or our destructive tendencies. But as we come to know the Lord and we give our lives to him, God has called us to reach each individual. Individuals only we can truly reach. And I want to tell you that everybody is assigned a specific number to reach. And when that number is completed and God is finished with our work here on earth, we will be in heaven. God calls us home. Now that's important for us to remember. And that's exactly what was done here with Jehu, who wasn't, was not from the line of Ahab and Jezebel. Very interesting, you know. Now let's read on. 2 Kings 9, 4 to 10. So the young man and the servant of the prophet went to Ramoth Gilead. And when he arrived, there were the captains of the army sitting. And he said, I have a message for you, commander. Jehu said, for which one of us? And he said, for you, commander. And then he arose and went into the house. And he poured the oil on his head and said to him, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord, over Israel. You shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, the king, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophet. Now look at that. That I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish and I will cut off from Ahab all the males in Israel, both bond and free. So I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. The dogs shall eat Jezebel on the plot of ground at Jezebel, at Jezreel. And there shall be none to bury her. And he opened the door and he fled. Which brings me to the second point. The young man told Jehu that God had selected him to be king. Ahab king and Jezebel queen will be judged. Beloved, we must care about the way we treat people and we represent the Lord. Remember that our life is not about us. Did you hear that? Your life is not about you. My life is not about me. It's about what God desires to do through us. It's about his will for us. That's what our life's about. And we need to pay attention to how we treat and how we act with people. Now, we don't need to do something that is not in our personality, but we need to understand that as we align ourselves with the Bible, God brings out of us those things that are in us. And so let's keep that in mind. Now, let's go to the last part, the last few verses. Then Jehu came out to the servants of his master and one said to him, well, is it all well? Why did this madman come to you? And he said to them, well, you know the man and, and, and the babble. And they said, a lie, tell us now. So he said, thus and thus he spoke to me, saying, thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. 
And then each man hastened to take his garment and put it under him on top of the steps. And they blew the trumpet saying, Jehu is king. Which leads me to this last point. Jehu became king that day because of God's anointing. Beloved, when we are anointed or set apart by the Holy Spirit, our life is destined to follow the Lord. We must remember that. As we follow God, we come into our calling. And let's be aware that we have a calling. This character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. Welcome back to the program. Today, my report is on 2 Kings chapter 2, which we read over the weekend. And this chapter is all about how the prophet Elisha heals the waters of Jericho through the power of God. And it was shortly after Elijah was taken up to heaven that the people of Jericho came to Elisha and told him that although it was a pleasant city, there was barrenness in the land because of the bad water. Now, we're going to break this down into two parts, and in part one today, we're going to be focused on just what exactly this barrenness was referring to. So, let's do that. Shortly after the prophet Elijah was caught up to heaven, his successor Elisha was called upon by the men of Jericho to solve a crisis situation. Please notice, they said, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground is barren. And Elisha said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there, and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. It is noteworthy that by all outward appearances, Jericho was a pleasant place to live, yet inwardly there was barrenness due to the water being bad. Just what it was exactly that made the water bad isn't known, but some scholars have suggested that the water contained certain mineral deposits which hindered growth or fruitfulness so that things grew, but before they produced fruit, the fruit would drop off or the plants would wither. Of course, it's also possible that this barrenness had more to do with human life than it did with plant life. As a matter of fact, a recent study of the region apparently showed that certain springs in the area have contacted radioactive strata. And so it has been suggested that combining these substances with the water had polluted it in such a way as to cause sterility or miscarriage. If this indeed was a barrenness of the womb rather than of the produce, it wouldn't be all that surprising, because after Jericho was destroyed in Joshua's conquest, a divine curse was placed upon anyone who would dare to rebuild the city, a curse involving the loss of their sons. So this barrenness could very well have been a continuation of that curse. Either way, what took place that day with Elisha was nothing short of a miracle of God, since one vessel full of salt would have little physical effect on so much water. It was God Almighty, whom Jeremiah calls the fountain of living waters, who conquered the death and barrenness of Jericho. So we see from this passage in 2 Kings chapter 2 that there were clearly physical problems happening in Jericho. 
And as I mentioned in the segment, this might have been a continuation of the divine curse placed upon anyone who dared to rebuild the city back during Joshua's conquest. But the people did the right thing. They sought the Lord for help. And you know what? He delivered. What once was lifeless was brought back to life. And on tomorrow's program, we're going to talk about this event again, but from a spiritual and theological perspective, because there's a greater spiritual reality here. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, as you look at Jericho, the ancient city, uh, it is something today we can see it. Of course, you go there and you take tours of it and all that. But in those days, it was different. It's been burned down several times and uh, it uh, came back and uh, it is absolutely fascinating. Thank you, Ryan. Okay, Corey. All right. Well, today we are taking a look at the chariot force of ancient Israel. And there's a really, really uh, cool uh, piece of research that uh, has been written that we're going to dig into. Uh, but it really applies to our reading today because, uh, you know, covered in our chapters it is the anointing of Jehu as the next king of Israel. And of course, he was not in the line of Ahab at all. This was going to represent a new dynasty in Israel. And Jehu was a part of the military, specifically a part of the chariot force of northern Israel. And as we're reading through, we see Jehu hopping in his chariot and riding to different cities. So let's take a look uh, at this research uh, by Deborah O'Connell uh, Cantrell. Uh, I'm getting it wrong today, guys, but this segment isn't wrong. Check it out. Beginning in Exodus, the second book of the Bible, horses are mentioned frequently in the context of war. At first, horses and chariots are the terrifying tools of the enemies of Israel, Pharaoh's chariots and the deadly iron chariotry of the Philistines, for example. In those early days of Israel as a nation, they themselves did not possess a chariotry. But as the time of the kings of Israel unfolded, horsemanship and chariot warfare became a primary goal. By the third king, Solomon, we see Israel buying horses in bulk, building chariot cities, and organizing a centralized feeding system for the nation's horses. A few generations later, during the reign of King Ahab, two enemy nations would record on documents that still survive Ahab and Israel's unusually powerful chariot force. The Teldan Stella says that Ahab brought 2,000 chariots to battle, which would represent anywhere from four to 6,000 chariot horses. This seems to confirm an Assyrian record that claims Ahab brought the strongest chariot force to the Battle of Karkar, again, numbering 2,000 chariots. Scholar and modern horse professional Deborah O'Daniel Cantrell has argued for a modern misunderstanding of the archaeological evidence for horses and chariotry in ancient Israel, largely based off a misunderstanding of the needs and training regimes of horses. Her work points to the city of Megiddo as an exemplar of a chariot city, showing convincing evidence for horse stabling, including horse chewing marks on remaining feeding troughs as well as interpreting Israel's four and six chambered gates as chariot hitching stations. Chariot horses were a most feared weapon. They were trained to kill by trampling, and in the words of Cantrell, they were trained to be addicted to speed, which is what made them both a fearsome weapon and difficult to control in the heat of battle. Horses were also very difficult to kill, with spear, arrow, and sword wounds exciting them further and with their circulatory system allowing their drivers hours to get them back to camp to deal with what could have been deadly wounds. 
Horses' main weakness, on the other hand, is their stamina. Horses' exhaustion levels need to be strictly controlled by their drivers, otherwise they would work themselves to death. This meant that to battle successfully, a chariotry would need to have waves of chariots that would fight and retreat to camp for rest. Another weakness is the horse's startle reflex, which could send an excited warhorse on an uncontrolled deadly flight. History seems to show that enemy armies were always trying new tactics to startle enemy horses while desensitizing their own horses to the same stimuli. There were parts of the war horse's apparel that did help with this. Horses wore blinders to limit their vision by up to 90%, and multiple bells were incorporated onto their gear. This could have multiple benefits, helping horses match each other's gaits, announcing their presence, and creating a comforting white noise for the horses. Whether we think of the heavenly horses that accompanied Elijah to heaven, the fearsome chariot driver King Jehu, or the war horses of Revelation, it's clear that horses were tremendously important in the history of Israel. I didn't spend a lot of time in this segment looking at um, her research into the six chambered gates that are believed to have been built around the time of King Solomon. Uh, but in her research, it's really interesting how she uh, really persuasively argues that these were set up to be chariot hitching stations so that uh, Israel effectively would have had a very fast messenger system to get from city to city. Uh, these utilizing these six chamber gates where a chariot team could come in and fresh horses could be brought in and hitched up right away. And I think that's interesting in regards to our reading today because we see Jehu going from city to city in his chariot very quickly. And that's a sign of a warrior when you come in a chariot. I mean, you mean business. Mm -hmm. uh, and you don't want to get hung up in that because that's, uh, you know, if you don't have a chariot, you're going to not go against a guy who has a chariot very well. So, you know, you're paying attention to it. Very good. Thank you, Corey. Jan? Words and actions matter. I love the action in this chapter of 2 Kings chapter 9, where Jehu uh, is anointed the king of Israel by a son of a prophet or a servant of a prophet that Elijah chooses to take this message and go into, and it's a very a precarious time because Elisha is telling this young man that when you deliver the message after you're done, flee, open the door and flee. So you can see that it's a, it's a, it's a very precarious time. And, um, I love the action sequence in this, but today words and actions matter. You know, Elisha picked this young man based upon, I believe his trust that this young man would actually go and do specifically what Elisha sent him to do. In the first verse, he, we hear him saying, get yourself ready, take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. And then he tells him what he needs to say and how to leave. And he does this and he goes in to this situation where you have the commander of the army and the other men who, other military men. And he interrupts their meeting, calls Jehu out. We've read the portion of scripture today. And these men, after Jehu comes back, they start to question him because this young fellow, they, they refer to him as a madman. Verse 11, then Jehu came out to the servants of his master and one said to him, is all well? Why did this madman come in to you? And then Jehu says to them, oh, you know the man and his babble. And they perceive that there's a little bit more going on here. And they answer him, a lie. Tell us now. And so 
Jehu tells them what this young man has said. And the young man did not add to the words that Elisha did. He specifically followed what he was supposed to do, delivered the message to Jehu, and then fled. When the, man, when the men first saw him, they thought he was a madman. They thought he was a lunatic. And yet, when they heard the words that, that this young man spoke to Jehu, they knew, in fact, that it was the right words, that Jehu was anointed king. And in fact, they kind of do a, a ceremony right there. They begin to take off their cloaks and lay it down on the stairs for Jehu to stand on uh, because they were honoring him as king already. What's my point? Words and actions matter. When we go out with our words in activation of what God has told us to do, we don't need to add any dramatics to it. We don't need to add words that we think we need to add. We need to, to, to be directed by God's word, by God's Holy Spirit, and go in and live as a follower of Christ. We need to make sure that our lives are following the word of God and following Christ so that we can be that reflection, so that we can be that ambassador of Christ that we're called to be when we dedicate, commit our lives to follow God. And so I'm just kind of putting myself, Rod, in the position of this young man that was sent on a mission to give this message, this very important message to Jehu. And... Um, recognizing that as a follower of Christ, I need to do the same with his word, not diminish it in any way, thinking that I have somehow evolved into some kind of greater wisdom than what was written in this book, or to think that, that I need to downplay or change anything up. I need to follow the instructions of God. And the only way that I can do that is to make sure that God's word is in my heart. And how do I do that? by what we do here on this program as a family. It has changed our lives personally. And we believe that is it is the inherent word of God. It is God's word written to all of us. And it's very important. And it's important that we not add to it and that we don't take away from it. It's called BD Family and Friends, and it's on Roku. That's a box you can buy at Kmart or Walmart or wherever you want to get it and put it on your TV set and you can watch us and you can get our programs. It's BD Family and Friends, BD Family and Friends. Make sure you check it out today. Let's pray and say, Father, today I need to follow you. Please help me to pattern my life after you. I'm willing to change my ways. Help me.